0: 28. Thanks, Kenny. Hi, I'm Jose. And um, if I fall asleep in the middle of talking, I apologize. We just got back from Israel on Friday afternoon and we had a men's event, a great men's event yesterday. Uh, and so I'm slightly sleep deprived, which means this could go well or really bad. All right. So help, please help a brother out. Okay. If it's quasi funny, pretend it's really funny. Anyway, uh, well, going to Israel was one of those uh, dreams come true. Uh, I hadn't been, and I've studied the Bible my whole life and seen charts and videos, but there's something about being in the place where Abraham walked and where David fled from Saul and where Jesus walked throughout Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee and where Peter and John uh, and Paul preached that it, it really does transform the way you see the Bible. So we, we, it was our first trip as a church to go. We went with Westside, and um, I hope we could do it in the next year or two. So if you missed it, for whatever reason, save your shekels, okay? Save them. Uh, and and I, I pray that we could do another trip. It really was transformative. And it's interesting, we did it. just in time for us to finish the series in Acts. So if you're new, you get a summary of what took us a year to get to, okay? So you came on the right Sunday. Uh, We're going to just review and finish out the book of Acts, and then we'll have a teaching next week, Easter, and we'll start a new series the week after. So that's the plan. Now, to mix it up, we usually read a piece of text and then talk about it, but I thought since it's our last one that we would read it all together, all right? So if you wouldn't mind, go to Acts 28, we're going to even put it on the screen in case you're reading a different version. And I'm going to invite you to go old school with me. Uh, and we're going to stand. I already am. Um, we're going to stand. That was a quasi-funny joke. That, that, help, help a brother out. Yeah, didn't, didn't, you're not helping. All right, and we're going to read Acts 28, just the last two verses, verse 30 and 31, together. All right, let's just do it. One, two, three. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Lord, we thank you that these words, even though they seem so simple and travel log-esque, they're alive. And we pray that they would be alive to us, to our thinking, to our feeling, to our living. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Why do not you have a seat. Thanks so much for doing that. Two things for uh, today, and we're going to send you off. Uh, we want to look at the last couple of verses in Acts and see how Luke ends the book. But then we want to zoom out and spend most of our time looking at what we looked at. Uh, the thing is, we went like verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But you can miss the forest from the trees. So we want to step back and look at five themes that run all throughout the book. There are many more, but I narrowed it down to five, that I pray will be embedded in your soul and will influence the way that you follow Jesus, which means it's going to take me a long time. So just smile and wave. All right, the end. How does X Acts end? It interestingly ends with a Cliffhanger. I'm into movies, and I really like—I don't know what your opinion—but the movie some years ago, Inception, with Leonardo DiCaprio. Now the award-winning actor, whatever. And uh, because if you didn't see the movie, it's about getting a, an idea placed in your brain, and you end up in the dream world. Long story short, the way you know reality is you have a tell, and he had a little top. And in order for him to know, is he in like dream world or real world, you spin the tail, you spin the top. If it keeps spinning endlessly, you know it's a dream because it eventually would fall. If it falls over, you know that you're in reality. So the movie ends. I'm going to ruin it for you. The, the, the movie ends and he, he spins his tail, he spins the top and you're waiting for it to, and it cuts off. And it's a cliffhanger. You don't know. So you're supposed to spend, You know, first you're supposed to throw your popcorn if you're in the movie theater because you're just mad. Because like, how did this resolve? Was this whole movie real or a dream? Point is, great drama, great books, great movies often end with a cliffhanger. and You'll you want more. Well, you, if you think about it, Luke ends just that way. It's a sudden end. Here's Paul. We studied. He's been... For three or four chapters, making his way to Rome because he's on trial for his life, he's in prison, and you're waiting for him to go before Caesar and share the good news, revival to break out, churches to be planted. And what does Luke say? Two years is in a rented house, preach the gospel. Ha ha! Bye. That's it. It's just a strange end to the book, but actually, it ties the bow on the whole story. Good authors hint at the beginning and tied up at the end and so if you think acts 1 8 those of you who've been with us know that drives the whole book jesus said you receive the holy spirit and the spirit will give you power to be a witness in jerusalem judea samaria the ends of the earth you receive my gift says jesus and you will tell and show of my work to the world so how does acts end the last words aren't a downer. It's not about the Jews rejecting Jesus, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. It's not about the opposition. It ends on a positive note. Two years without hindrance, here he is preaching the good news. Uh, a summary statement, a good quote with one of the authors I've been looking at as we've gone passage by passage. His name is Ben Witherington. He kind of summarizes the whole book. He says, Luke's main concern is to leave the reader a reminder about the unstoppable Word of God, which no obstacle, not shipwreck, not poisonous snakes, not Roman authorities, could hinder from reaching the heart of the empire and the hearts of those who dwelled there. Luke talks about the unstoppable Word of God. So there's an end with, and here's what happened to Paul, the end. No, he ends with, this word of God that Jesus was preaching and gave to his disciples, here it is in the heart of the empire and it's changing things. Now, that's what we know. We know that it ends in Paul's preaching. Here's what we don't know. How does Paul's life end? So you gotta look to church history. Now for those of you who are new to the Bible, like how did the story end? Paul is released. Uh, we don't get anything in the Bible about the trial and if, does he ever see Caesar? Is he acquitted? Is he, we don't know anything. But we know he's let go, and he travels to various churches, Macedonia. He wants to go to Spain to preach the gospel. No one knows if he ever made it there. But he's arrested again years later in Rome, another time, on other charges we don't know about. And we know that somewhere between AD 64 and AD 67, Emperor Nero, who is vicious and evil, kills Paul, obviously, for his faith in Jesus. Now, let me make a, a, a distinction The Bible tells us all that we need to know. It's actually not interested in how Paul's life ends. The Bible ends with him fulfilling his God given mission. So, where the Bible's clear, we're clear. Where the Bible's unclear, we're just tenuous, and church tradition says that. But interesting, God doesn't tell us how Paul's life ends, He tells us about what He does with His life. And isn't that a good reminder? It's a great reminder. We may not know all the end of your story and what happens in your later, later, later years, but God reminds all of church history for 2,000 years that he was faithful to preach the gospel. Now, that's how the story ends. But let's look at five things, and I'm going to ask you to write them down because it summarizes the last year of our life as a community. Number one, first thing we see that's a theme that runs all throughout the book of Acts is that God promised to create a people with a mission to the world. The book of Acts is about God pulling together their narratives, their stories of real people, and, and it builds. It starts with 120 in an upper room praying, Jesus appearing to them, but then it expands. Thousands believe. It starts in Jerusalem, moves to Judea, Samaria, it moves on, and the story continues because the subtle theme is that God is creating a people. Now, Luke, the writer, writes two books of the Bible. He writes a Gospel, Gospel Luke, and then he writes Acts. They're separated by John. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, and then Acts. But really, they're meant to be read side by side. So how does Luke end? Like, How does he end his Gospel? Luke 24, I'll throw it on the screen just for time. A lot of verses on the screen because I want you to write down the references. It says, uh, at the end of Luke, last chapter, Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Pause. You won't find that verse anywhere in the Bible. Luke summarizes at the end of his Gospel... Jesus is risen, he sees his followers, and then he takes the whole Bible that they have, what we call the Old Testament, and he ties it together. It's not just jointed. It's one continuous story that's been revealing God and his heart and his will and his plan throughout thousands of years. So this statement probably took Jesus hours to unpack. Remember back in Genesis. Remember back in Exodus. They all point to the Messiah who is going to preach and then repentance would go out in his name. Let's go back to the text. You, verse 48, are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father's has promised, but stay in the city to have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus opens the minds of his believers and Luke's gospel ends with a promise. Jesus says, you got this. And you're going to share it. So Acts is the unpacking of that promise. Acts 2 tells us that when they receive the Spirit, what's the first response? Peter, Acts 2 verse 14, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And look at what, look at what he says. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, pause. Jesus in Luke 24 said, the Messiah must suffer and die, rise again, and repent. I believe that Peter is just explaining what Jesus had explained back in Luke 24. All of the Bible was leading up to Jesus. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and they will do what? What's the one thing they'll do? Prophesy. Prophesy. Peter and every man and woman who receives a spirit will speak the words of God to prophesy. It's a churchy word, but it's a Bible word. It's to speak the words of God. So somehow the promise is in the first part of the story, the prophet and the priest and the king were the men of God, mostly men, some women, who spoke for God. And now the promise was when Messiah comes, it's not going to be limited to a few people. Every one of Jesus' followers is now going to hear from God and, strangely enough, speak the words of God. So, Acts is the telling of what Jesus had promised, which means following Jesus today means stepping into God's mission in the world. The first thing Peter does when he receives the Spirit is not say, Oh, this is awesome, look at us. No. First thing he does is says, these are the words of God. Point is, when you and I step into the story, we remember that God is creating a people who will live out his mission. To follow Jesus means to step into what Jesus was doing and now wants to do in our world. Because the good news is for everybody, every year, every age, every city, What had happened in Jerusalem needs to be told to the ends of the earth, that this Jesus is alive and he saves. And guess who's going to do it? Professional preachers. No, everyone who has the Spirit. So if you've been given God's Holy Spirit because you've trusted in Jesus, you're a messenger. Now, what do we do with this message? Point two, second theme runs all across Acts and affects the way we follow Jesus. Write it down. Israel's story includes the Gentiles. This is a very nerdy statement, but just write it down anyway. Like, wow, I'm going to go to church and learn that Israel's story includes non-Jews. What am I talking about? Acts is the book that reminds us that what God had promised at the beginning is now fulfilled. You remember, Jesus was born as a Jewish man. To be Jewish meant to be that you can trace your lineage back to one man whose name is Abraham or Abram. And Abraham had many sons and many sons had father Abraham, and I'm one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. I just figured out who grew up going to church. I learned that song when I was a little kid. you know, anyway. If you don't know what I'm talking about, trust me, you didn't miss anything. It has cheese written all over it. But... Abraham has sons. Now look back at the text, Genesis 18, write it down. Promise at the beginning of the Bible. The Lord said to Abraham, go to your country, your people, your father's household, to the land. I will show you. I actually was, uh, when we were in Israel, at the place where many believe that was the city that Abraham lived in for a while before he encountered God. They actually unearthed the city gate. 5,000 years old. If, if you follow me on Instagram, you could see the photo of where Abraham probably lived and walked. And then he met with God. It's like in a real place. Well, God said, I'm going to take you to a land. That place is outside of the land that's now called Israel. And he says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. And all the peoples will be, of the earth will be blessed through who? You. See, God promised to bless the entire World through the descendants of Abraham, but up until this point, and, and we just take it for granted. Up until this point, God had been speaking to mostly one ethnic group of people. In all of the world, He was focusing on one. Most of the Bible, by the way, most of the Old Testament is written about one family, which seems kind of weird. All, but here's what God does: He gives a promise, and then He tells us in the Bible exactly how he's going to fill his promise. So was God faithful to the people? Yes. You read the Bible. Were the people faithful to God? Absolutely not. But it gives the real story of an unfaithful people experiencing the love of God anyway. All of that leads to Jesus. And because of Jesus, and now in the book of Acts we see it, the message of God's family relationship in order to be a part of the family of God before Jesus, you had to be a Jew, To be Jewish was to be born a Jew, which discounts all of us. But you could also convert into Judaism, be circumcised, ouch, and join the family of God, which few people did. But now in Jesus, what was faithful, God faithful to one group as an example, now it explodes, and God's faithfulness is going to be seen to everyone. So hear me. Acts reminds us that Israel is included, it must include the Gentiles. Those who are outside the family of God can be included in the family of God. So, Acts reminds us, Acts 10, we see that Peter is given a vision from God and he, he he sees a guy named Cornelius who's not Jewish. And while speaking, he's speaking to Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion. He's speaking these words. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. Cornelius is in his house with his family and his friends. And they don't, they're not Jews, but they're hungry for God. And God sends Peter. Before going there, remember, he gave him the vision. Peter, don't you call anything unclean that which I'm making clean. In other words, there are people who do not look like my people, and you're discounting them from being a part of the family. I'm inviting them in. And remember, they all received the Spirit. So then Peter said, surely no one could stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Pentecost, in a sense, happens twice. Acts 2, it's for the Jews. They receive the Spirit and they preach. Now, in in Acts 10, the Spirit comes on the non-Jews just like he did the Jews. And what Jesus is doing in the book of Acts is saying no more is there a distinction between who's in the family of God and who's not invited to be a part of the family of God. Everyone now is invited. Isn't this good news? Everyone. So the good news, and apply it to our world. The good news is for everyone. It's for everyone. So God's up to something in our, He's up to something good in our city, just like He was up to something good in their city. Uh, interestingly enough, the Acts records a story. In the beginning, it's mostly Jews who are following Jesus, and then this happens. Acts ten. For the rest of Acts, it's mostly non-Jews, and this is not an anti-Semitic statement but it shows us what happens. Some of the people who are most likely you'd think they would follow Jesus, reject him. Some of the least likely people who don't come from a Jesus background or a Bible background or a God background are the most likely to enter the kingdom. And you know the last 2,000 years have, have borne that out. Some of the least likely people end up falling in love and following Jesus which reminds us the good news is for everyone. It's for your skeptical neighbors. It's for your coworkers. It's for people who right now can care less about God, Jesus, Bible. Acts reminds us God can do anything through everyone. Anyone can share good news, and you never know who's going to receive it. So I pray application. As a church, we don't com- become complacent. So it's easy to say, like, oh, God, look at what you did, and stop there. Acts pushes us forward because every time God does something amazing, something else is just around the corner in the next chapter, in the next city, in the next town. And Paul plants one church and he plants another church. And it's hard. He plants another church and it's hard. He plants another church and it's hard. And He takes one trip and he gets beaten up and almost killed. And he takes another trip and he gets beaten up and almost killed. And He takes another trip and he's beaten up and almost killed. And he never stops because when we receive the Spirit, we're reminded that this good news is worth it. And it's for everybody so you and I get the privilege and the responsibility in our generation to never give up. I just pray we're never one of those churches that spends more time talking about what God did than what God's doing. Remember back when the church started and blah, 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 blah. But now it's like flatline. I pray that never happens. Acts is the reminder. It's the book that stirs us to want more of God. And I hope that has happened for you in our study. Third thing, write it down. How do we live this out? The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Again, we're zooming out and looking at big themes. So we know that God's creating a people who are gonna live out the mission. We know that. And we know um, that Israel is, is gonna now include the Gentiles, so anyone who calls on Jesus can be saved. But the Holy Spirit is what makes all of that possible. So you can't go to any chapter in the book of Acts without seeing the work of the Spirit. In Acts 2, Paul preaches the gospel by the Spirit. In Acts 3, uh, a lame man, Peter and John are walking to worship and a man who's lame is healed by the Spirit. In Acts 4, the church gathers for prayer and it says the whole meeting place was shaken and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's why we're doing this event tonight. We're not wasting time. We're not inviting you just because we want one more meeting. We've been praying for a year now and preparing tonight. It happens to be hosted here, but we're just hosting it. People from all sorts of churches are going to be here tonight, and we're anticipating that the Spirit of God, as we work, it's just no preaching, we're going to worship and worship, and in between we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, we're going to pray, and we're praying that God would shake the house, right? That God would shake us, that God would, he would stir new thoughts, new ideas, new New boldness, boldness and without hindrance. Paul is preaching the gospel, and we need that, right? So we want to put ourselves in a place where, like Acts 4, they receive. Now, Acts 5, it gets gnarly. God calls out sin. Ananias and Sapphira are lying to God, and by the Spirit, Peter knows they're liars, and they drop dead. Hello. Acts 6, the church chooses leaders to serve. So much going on, So people are being left out, some widows are going hungry, and, and the church raises up new leaders. It happens. What do they qualify people? Men who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's the qualification. The Holy Spirit is the secret sauce. No, not trying to be like, disrespectful, but some are wondering, well, what, what, what does it take to have a, a really booming church or effective church? And some people think, well, sound, light, stage, building, staff, money. And all of those are helpful. Look, I'm glad you're not standing. I'm glad you got a chair. It's like, helpful. We caffeinate you because I know what will happen if you don't drink. (laughs) You think it's for joy? It's for effectiveness. (laughs) But that is not the secret to a move of God. The secret is not a secret. Read the book of Acts. The presence of the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Father. The person, God the Father. The person, God the Son. The person, God the Holy Spirit. And so Acts keeps us from getting lost on opposite sides of the road. One side of the road says, "I believe in the Trinity, the, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible." I'm just going to read the Bible. Just um, the, the Bible says what 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 happened. I'm just just the Bible, and and the Bible is the Word of God. We're not denying that, but in Acts you see that it's the person of the Holy Spirit. The other side says it's, just, it's all the Holy Spirit, no guardrails, anything goes. Now, some of us grew up in churches that really didn't talk about the power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Others, it was like, man, what goofiness is going to happen this Sunday, right? Now, most of us didn't grow up with either extreme. Many of us here grew up somewhere in the middle, but we as a community just want to push the envelope because apart from the work of the Spirit, we have nothing to offer. The Holy Spirit is the empowering presence that makes the preaching of the gospel possible. It's impossible without Him. We were in Israel. We had 41 people on this tour bus, some from Sunset, some from Westside. We're a few days in, and Evan Wickham is one of the worship leaders at Westside. He was doing a devotion at one of the cities, and I'm sitting there trying to pay attention to him, but in my mind, I can't see the person, but I'm like, there is a lady in this group who's struggling with an eating disorder, and God wants to remind her that his power is there and able to get her through. And I knew so much of this, I didn't know it, but I knew somehow that she'd been, she been gaining victory but was getting really discouraged and was afraid she was going to fall back into that, that cycle. Now, how did I know that? I didn't know that, but I knew that. Can I explain this to you? No. So I was like, do I stop Evan and just share this? He wrapped it up. We had a short time to see one of these particular sites. I'm like, well, Lord, that's not of you. I don't want to mess this up. So let me sit on it for a day. And I just prayed next morning. Lord, was that legit or was that just me? Because that's just weird for me to think about that. And by the way, there's only about 20 ladies on this trip. So if I make this statement, I'm kind of narrowing it down here. Like, if I make that statement here, most of you would just blow it off. But if we're all on the same bus. This is weird. <laughs> so I did it. I was like, alright, it's going to come out of left field, but here it is. And like at the end, my wife was with me on the trip. I'm like, "Just if that's you, come up to Carmen and, uh, and me, and we'd love to just talk with you, inc- encourage you, and pray with you. But I believe that the Spirit wants to just set you free. And so we were at a big Roman city that had been excavated, and and we had plenty of time. We just walked over and I see this one lady following us. And we moving all over and this lady's following us. And she came up and she's like, how in the world did you know that? I'm like, um, because Jesus is good and he wanted you to know that. And, and she's like, I haven't told anybody. I have been wrestling and struggling. And we spent a few days just meeting with her and praying with her and encouraging her. Now, I'm not here to say like, hey, I've got something. I'm here to tell you that is possible for any believer in Jesus. Anyone can receive anything from the spirit and encourage the body. She doesn't even come, she goes to West Side. She didn't even come here. But God brought people on a bus and in the Holy Land had a message for her. What I'm talking about is that should be, hear me, normal. So I mean that just sounds abnormal. No, no, no. Read Acts. That should be normal. That people who love God, hear from God, step out in faith in God's name, and people are set free. And I thank God that he does that. So as a church, it's not like we're on this extreme and anything goes, but we definitely don't want to fall in this ditch. It says, that's what happened, and now God left us to ourselves. We have iPhones. We don't need the presence of the Spirit. That should be normal. So we're moving on from our series, but don't think for one moment that we're moving away from centering our life in the power of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is who we need and the Spirit has all we need, all right? Number four, we're almost done. Jesus is at the center of salvation. You can't read Acts without realizing The entire message called the good news is the good news of Jesus. Now, this sounds so obvious. Like, why belabor this point? Well, some are new to the community and may not have heard that. But others just need to be reminded that we're in a multicultural, pluralistic city that believes whatever's good for you is good for you. Whatever's good for me is good for me. And then we read Acts. And we realize, how did the church, by the way, The Roman culture in the first century was exactly like the city of Portland. The only thing that was not tolerated was if you didn't believe in all of the gods. The Jews were seen as intolerant. They weren't allowed religion, but they were seen as weird because everyone else believed multiple paths, multiple ways, multiple gods, multiple powers. Everyone else. And the Jews said, no, there's only one God. And that made them mad, but they allowed because they were peaceable. And in our culture, how do we react to people saying there's many ways? I'm going to just list off a bunch of Scripture. You'll get the point. Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't say in Yahweh, God's, God the Creator. He said in Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. So it's not just following God generic. It is following Jesus that leads to forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. Acts 4.10. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just so you couldn't confuse it and think there's more, mul- because Jesus was a common name. It was Joshua uh, in the first century. So it's Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, a.k.a. like, you know, Jose Zias of my neighborhood on my block. They were like, don't even think we're talking about any old Jesus. It's Jesus from this town, which by the way, Nazareth only had a couple of hundred people. So they would have known who this Jesus was. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in anyone that you think possible. No, it's found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's the exclusive claim of Jesus. So it's the exclusive claim of the church. So we're not arrogant and we're not bigoted and we're not mean and we're not wrong. It is our privilege to say What God has been doing since Genesis has been leading all the way to Jesus. So, of course, we must say there's no other way to life with God other than Jesus. There is no other option. It's the exclusive claim because there is no one else other than Jesus Christ of Nazareth who has fulfilled everything that the story of God before him was leading up to. I would love to say it's A, B, or C. Pick which one fits you. I would love to say that. It's much easier. I just have no right to say it. We have no right to say it. Jesus is the way. So much so that when Stephen's about to die, Acts 7.59, they were stoning Stephen because of his faith in Jesus. Stephen prayed, listen to this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who receives your spirit when you die? God. Who does he say? Lord Jesus So early on in the story, everyone realized Jesus is the center of the story. Philippian Jailer, Acts 16, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It goes on and on and on and on and on. What's the application for us? It's easy to miss the obvious and to get off. We're a young church. We're only four years old come this Easter. So we've had a good foundation. We're starting on the right track. But it's possible over time to make the main thing, to lose the main thing and fall off track. I was in Jerusalem at the site where, one of the sites, because we don't know where Jesus was actually crucified, but there's two major thoughts in Jerusalem. One has a church built on top of it, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Some of you have been there. And the church built a community on the site where they believe, and if you want, you can go in and rub the stone, supposedly, where Jesus' cross was put into the ground. But the most interesting thing happened. There's a room in there, those of you who've been there, you know it, where you can pray. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is run by four different churches. There's the Armenian Orthodox meet in there, Greek Orthodox meet in there, Egyptian Coptic Christians meet in there, and the Roman Catholics meet in there. They all meet in the same building at the same time. So there's a prayer place where you can go to pray. But it's strange. At the center of this room is a four sided thing where you can come for prayer and you wait in line with your faith. So the Greek Orthodox wait in their line. The Armenian Orthodox have to wait in another line to go to another side of the prayer box. The Coptic Egyptians, which had no one in their line because I don't even know what they are, and then the Roman, <laughs> then the Roman Catholics had a line going out, out the door. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of our brothers and sisters, I'm simply suggesting they may have missed the plot line. I don't have a line to go to. I can't get blessed by their leaders because I'm not one of any of those. And I've got a feeling that Jesus is saying, come to the Father. I made a way. But it's possible for any church community to get off track and simply miss the plot line. Now, fortunately, we don't have any holy sites in Hillsborough. We do have a baseball stadium, but I don't think people are flocking to it to pray. But we can miss the plot line too. Jesus is the center of the story. And the second we get off of Jesus, we will get off. All right, number five, and we're done. Following Jesus causes us to live differently. This theme runs all throughout Acts, but I want to harp on this one. Because some people think, well, I believe in Jesus, I'm good. Well, sort of. Because everyone in Acts that follows Jesus has a transformation of not just their mind, but of their actual life. I'll just look at a few, write them down. Acts 4, 32. All believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. So following Jesus led to radical generosity. Now John Ogle was here. He did a great job. John, you killed it. You gave away tickets at the first gathering. That was, so if you come to the 11, he gave away tickets to it. You came at the, was it the 11? Oh, you were here last week. Are you here who got the ticket? Because if you didn't come back to church, shame on you. Anyway, obviously they're not here. But (laughs) you can go to Jerusalem, pray at some line if you can get on. Um. Radical generosity. And right after this gathering, even if you didn't plan on it, we will feed you lunch right after this gathering. John and Tracy Nordyke are teaching a, a class on, the, on biblical generosity and 10 things that God has put in Scripture that ought to reshape the way you see everything. Right after this gathering, even if you didn't sign up, off to the side room, feed you lunch. Get your soul fed as well. Jesus changes the way we see possessions. Acts 6, 1-4. through four. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility to them. Remember, when there was a conflict, people weren't having their needs met. What does the church say? There are many servants here. You guys, among yourselves, choose people of character and godliness and let them serve. So as a community, we believe that following Jesus shows up in the way you live your life. So if, you, if, you, if your possessions are, they're mine, maybe you need to grow in discipleship to Jesus. If you see your time and, and, and your passions as your own, well, I don't have time to serve because I'm doing this and this and this, and I have this and this and this. If you have no room for other people to serve, you actually haven't read the book of Acts and thought about discipleship to Jesus. It affects the way we live. Finally, Acts 15 Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, quote, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So in church, there was there started to be different teachings. End quote. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with these leaders. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So churches had conflict. There's disagreements. But discipleship to Jesus affects the way you see resources. It affects the way you see your time and your giftedness and your passions. It also affects the way you see other human beings. What do they do? They didn't kick these other people out. They called a meeting, they got in a room, and they figured it out. So following Jesus means and implies we don't live with lifelong conflict. But we ask the Spirit of God and we invite the Spirit of God and we invite the community of God to wrestle with the conflict that we have until we come to a resolution. By the way, they come to a resolution which was a compromise. Now, the, the false teaching about the circumcision, that was renounced. But they came to a compromise about how non-Jews, who didn't care about the law of Moses as much, should live in respect of the Jewish Christians. They didn't, they didn't just backbite and fight and unfortunately this word is often forgotten in church today right and so I meet and know so many and so many of you here you're still holding on to the baggage of wounds by other Jesus followers in years past you're at this church you're at this conference you're at this camp you're at this whatever and somebody hurt you the way they spoke to you the way they treated you it hurt you And what Jesus wants to do in the book of Acts is to remind you, it's time to let go. It's time to forgive. You don't forget, that's just naive, but you don't hold it against people anymore. Now, by the way, it's not my notes. I think it's a word for some of you. I think it's a word for some of you. It's time to forgive and to release people to God and pray that he'll reconcile again. If that's for you, freebie It's yours. Receive it. And live it out. So at the end of Acts, just to pull this all together. The Acts of the Apostles have long ago finished, but the Acts of Jesus' followers were continued. If you want to summarize the whole year of study, this is what it is. We saw the Acts of the Apostles and the Twelve and then the extended family. That's, that's the past. But the Acts of Jesus' followers continued, so I think, subtly there is no ending about Paul's life at the end of Acts because the story continues. And it doesn't just continue in the first century or second century or fifth century or 12th century. It continues in our day. And so, my friends, we pray that as we step in towards Easter and celebrate the resurrection, that we'll rise up, that we'll rise up and be the people of God, that we'll rise up and keep Jesus the sinner, that we'll rise up and step into the mission of God, that we'll rise up and become a people of radical generosity and radical servanthood. And radical love. And that as we become those people, because we're not there yet, right? As we become those people, Jesus will reshape all of Hillsborough and beyond. That's what we're praying. So we're going to enter into worship, part one. Because I'm inviting you to come back. Drop what you're doing. Unless you got to be at work and they're going to fire you. Then go to work. But for the rest of you, come back. And let's worship tonight. And let's pray tonight. And let's ask God to continue the acts of his Jesus followers all across our city. Amen? Why don't you stand at your feet and let's, uh, let's pray and let's worship. Let's step into what God is doing. Lord, we love you. And we pray that the stuff in the past, we ask you, God, that you'll remove the pain and the gook and the shackles of the stuff in the past and that mercy would come from the Father through the Son by the Spirit and that we will rise up as a humble but bold people and without hindrance, we will share the love of Jesus and the good news to everyone we meet. We ask, Lord, that you would do it even now, even start it as we open our mouths and worship through song. We pray.